0: Guys, for leading us. Thank you, guys, for for being here this morning to uh, to help us and to sing. Uh, I hope you guys were singing well at home. Uh, it's Easter, and uh, I sit here with with the band and a handful of folks. And if you told me six weeks ago this is what Easter was going to look like, I would have said you are crazy. There's no way that's going to happen, or uh, some things have gone bad wrong. And uh, apparently, things have gone uh, bad wrong. It's a curveball for sure, for us to be here. And that's the series that we are in the midst of is uh, Curveball, uh, but it's here on Easter. And here's what's great about this, though, Uh, as much as I would love for everyone to be here, don't get me wrong, what's really, really great about this is that, uh, and and about the church and about Christianity and and Christianity at its heart is uh, church and Christianity are not about a Sunday morning show. Um, it's, it's not about showing up on a Sunday morning to get some emotional high. As much as Easter is that for Christians, it's not about showing up in order to uh, kind of fill this experience as though that experience is the, the essence of the Christian faith. The essence of the Christian faith is not built in an experience, but in a person and in an event. And so uh, this stinks, but in the short term, Uh, this is okay, because this is not, uh, our faith wasn't built on that experience uh, anyway. It's built on a person, it's built on an event, and this morning we get to focus on that event. Together or not, today is still our day, Christians. And in one sense, this is a huge curveball for us, because we didn't see it coming. Uh, In another sense, it's just another day for us following Jesus. Because in all honesty, we don't ever know what's coming, at least not completely. We think we do. We think we have control. We think we can kind of lay things out, but we don't really know what's coming. Every day is different. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of dial in that idea just a little bit, that that in one sense, what we're doing, what we're dealing with as a country, as a community, as a a church is is a big curveball, but in another sense... Uh, we probably should have saw it coming. So when we look at the Easter story, there are really three different ways that we could look at it. If we, if we focus in on the narrative, there's three different things that we could kind of dial in on. We could talk about uh, the Jews and the Romans. We could talk about the opponents of Jesus. We could talk about Jesus himself and what the events kind of tied to and, and happened that revolved around him, him. That's how a lot of Easter uh, sermons go, and that's a great way to do it or we can follow the disciples. And this morning, what I want to do is I kind of want to trace the disciples through this. Now, each of these approaches has its own merit, but the disciples is where I want to focus. And uh, a few weeks ago, we began this series, Curveball, talking about the Houston Astros, how they had become uh, perhaps the the most notorious cheaters in baseball uh, history. And they got that way by devising a scheme that just told them simply what pitch was coming. That told them whether it was a fastball or a curveball that was coming. They still had to hit the ball. They didn't cheat in a way that that made them uh, that, that that somehow kind of made it easier for them to hit and making the bat you know connect with the ball. It was simply to know what was coming. They still had to hit the ball. And even the best hitters in the world, when they knew what pitch was coming. From time to time, they would still miss because they were faced up against the greatest pitchers in the world too. And sometimes the pitcher is just better, even if you know what is coming because the curveball is too much, because the curveball is too good. And this morning, what we're going to see is that's a little bit what happened to the disciples. They missed the resurrection. They missed the the fact that Jesus was going to die, but they should have known the curveball was coming. This is the disciples that we are following. We just heard this morning, Amanda read for us a sampling of of the times Jesus told the disciples what was going to happen. And every time the disciples were either confused, they were angry, they were afraid, or they just flat out didn't believe him. Even to the point that Jesus calls kind of the lead disciple Peter, Satan. Because Peter is so mistaken about what's about to happen. Jesus tells them, hey guys, there's a big curveball coming. Y'all don't know this is about to happen, but let me tell you exactly what's going to happen. And every time the disciples are like, what's he talking about? I don't understand. That can't be right. I, I must be misunderstanding something. That's not how this is gonna go. Or Jesus, that's not going to happen, is what Peter said. And every time they walked away from that, Completely missing. They should have known. It shouldn't have been such a big curveball for them. It shouldn't have been one of these things that was so unexpected. In fact, they should have been training to hit this pitch. They should have been uh, practicing over and over and over and known exactly how to approach it and how to respond. And so that's why whenever I read the accounts of the crucifixion and the resurrection, I get uh, honestly a little bit confused But I also am really, really comforted. So before I get to why I'm comforted by it, let's see what happened. So we already read through through some of the scripture readings how they should have known. Now let's look at how they responded when it happened. So our first, we're going to start in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 11. We're going to look at three different passages that talk about how the disciples responded After the resurrection, so this is uh, crucifixion on Friday. Uh, You have you have the silence on Saturday, and then you have Sunday morning, Easter morning, the day of the resurrection. John chapter twenty verse eleven. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, and they said to her, "Woman, why are you weeping?" And she said to him, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. So you have Mary, the first of the disciples, to show up at the tomb. Mary shows up, weeping full of grief, for her teacher and her friend has been killed. She saw him dead. She helped to bury him, and she has gone back to tend to him. And when she shows up, Jesus isn't there. And instead of her saying, oh, wait a minute, I remember what he said, she is overcome with even more grief because they're convinced, she's convinced that That Jesus has been taken even the presence of the angels doesn't like register with her what has happened Even seeing jesus She doesn't she still doesn't comprehend what has happened She didn't show up at the grave that day Expecting a, a risen jesus. She went there to grieve. She went there to mourn She went there because she was sad and she didn't know where else to go She should have known he wasn't going to be there She should have been ready for this. After all, Jesus told them this is what was going to happen, but she didn't. The curveball of all curveballs still got her. So that was Mary. How did the others respond? Luke chapter 24. You can turn to Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, verse 1, it says this. And they did not believe them. So now we have uh, Mary and a couple of others that are with her, a fuller account of what happened uh, on that day. Mary and some of the, uh, the other uh, ladies are there. They are still a little perplexed, but then they find out, okay, this is Jesus. He is risen. First thing they want to do, go tell the other disciples. Let's run back to our brothers and tell them what we have seen. And whenever they get back to the brothers, what do they find after seeing the risen Jesus? They are met with full on disbelief from the other disciples. It's dismissed as an idle tale. Now, I can't imagine how offensive that would have been to those ladies that showed up after having seen Jesus. But after all, they didn't expect it either. They saw Jesus and they were still confused by it. The angels were like, what do you mean? What are you doing here? He told you this was going to happen. So so the ladies missed it. Then they came and they told the disciples and the disciples were like, I don't know what you're talking about. That is, that's nonsense. Quit 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 talking all that nonsense. And so they, they still didn't believe. So Jesus told them it was going to happen. Then they were told it had happened. And the disciples still didn't believe. This is a massive failure of discipleship. That they would hear Jesus say this so many times and they would still believe miss it and not understand what was going to happen. If you were to put this back into baseball terms, what you would say is these guys don't belong in the big leagues. They just don't belong in the big leagues because if you can tell them a curveball is coming and they're still going to swing and miss, what are they doing in the big leagues? What are these guys doing following Jesus? Could he not have picked some smarter guys? Could he not have picked some guys that could have figured this out that if he spelled it out plainly for them, they would have been expecting it? These guys were still not expecting it. They still did not understand what was happening. They knew it was going to happen or should have known it was going to happen, but when they're told that it happened, they still don't believe it. They missed it, they weren't ready for it. Let's read one more. Now, this is going to be from John chapter 20, verse uh, 24. So, John chapter 20. Eight days later, his his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And and although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now Thomas, doubting Thomas, he is really struggling here. Jesus told him it was going to happen. The women that were at the tomb that day told him it had happened. The other disciples who ran to the tomb after hearing what the ladies had said told him him that it had happened. And he still says, there's no way that happened. All of that evidence, and he still says, there's no way. This is insane. This is a curveball. I can't accept. There's no way this did not happen. I will not believe it until I see it. He still doesn't get it over and over and over. This gets repeated by people that should have known better. And I cannot even begin to tell you how comforting that is to me. There are so many things that I know better, and I still do them anyway. I know it doesn't make sense. I know I shouldn't be doing it. I'm old enough to know better in every sense of uh, uh, of that. I, I do it anyway, though. I know it isn't the best for me. I know it's not what God would would have for me, but here I go and I do it anyway. I know I should not have that bowl of cereal before I go to bed, but you know what? I'm going to have that bowl of cereal because that's, it's there. I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to. I know that whenever the empty light comes on on my gas tank in my car, I have gone too far, and I should have gotten gas sooner. I should know better, but you know what, I wait until that little light comes on and then I hope that I can scramble and find a gas station. I should know better, but that is what I do. I do this stuff all the time. And that's the stuff I can tell you about. There's all kinds of stuff I'm not about to tell you about as I talk to this little camera here. I'm not going to confess some of that stuff. And I know I shouldn't be doing that stuff. I know that I shouldn't continue to go back and and deal with this same sin again. I know I shouldn't be doing these things. I should know better. And yet here I am, and I don't. I'm old enough to know better, but too wrapped up in myself and too wrapped up in my sin to care. That's our sin, though. That's what sin does to us. That's what it's like. Sin will do that to us. It will make us do things that we know better. You can go to, 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 to Romans 7, and you can hear Paul talk about how, he, how that, that happens to him, how the things he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the things he, does, uh, he doesn't want to do, he does do, and, and he's dealing with this. And this is our experience, much like the disciples. We should know better. We should be able to stop. We should be able to believe and to trust. And yet, whenever the time actually comes, we're not there. That's how sin works. But what do you do whenever you transition this out of a personal thing and you move this into a bigger picture thing like where where we are right now? Like, like whenever you are a pastor and you're preaching to an, an empty room because nobody's here for Easter because of a worldwide pandemic. Yeah, we were told to expect a battle with our sin and a battle with flesh, but... N- Who expects to have to deal with something like this? That's a curveball. Surely Jesus didn't say was coming. I can turn all through the pages of the New Testament. Nowhere in there does it say anything about a virus that spreads and takes over the world and keeps people from showing up at church on a Sunday. That's not in the New Testament. You're not going to find it anywhere in there. So how are we supposed to be prepared for this stuff? How are we supposed to be prepared for whatever it is that you're dealing with in your life as a result of all of this mess? Jesus didn't tell us that curveball was coming. So what are we supposed to do? Are we just supposed to hope that we're good enough to, to make contact and to, uh, to be able to, 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 to get a hit on the curveball? Are, 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 are we just trying our best to 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 see if we can make it, and those that are good enough, that belong in the big leagues, maybe they can get a hit. But the rest of us probably going to swing and miss. I mean, God's given us a little bit of guidance, but, but, but what does Easter today and the disciples' confusion then have to do with us right now? What is the resurrection, the disciples who missed it, What does that have to do with what we're dealing with right now? The fact is, we should have known this was coming. The fact is, we should have known what to do. We should have known that this was coming. If you'll go to the book of Malachi and you'll look in the 20th verse of the 20th chapter for 2020, then what you'll... No, I'm just kidding. That is not actually a good way to study the Bible at all. There's not a 20th chapter to the book of Malachi. I'm not going to give you some kind of random like number thing of how you're supposed to know this was coming. And if anybody is doing that and you're watching them, they're not trying to teach you the Bible. They're trying to sell you something. So don't ever study the Bible that way. But we should have known It was coming. Not because of some made-up prophecy that somebody on TV is going to give to you, but because Jesus said that this was coming. Because the disciples told us that this was coming. We should have known that this curveball was coming. If you don't believe me, let's let's just see what Jesus has to say. Matthew chapter 16. You can turn to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is teaching That doesn't say anything about a virus. That's not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, Jesus wasn't talking about a virus in those verses. What Jesus is talking about is discipleship. And that's exactly the point. You see, Jesus took the cruelest form of punishment that was known to his world the most intense form of suffering that he could, he could find, that he could conjure up and, and communicate to his people, and he says, that's discipleship. The, the worst thing you can imagine, that's what discipleship looks like. And if you want to follow me, and if you want to be my disciple, then that's what it's going to look like when you come follow me. It's going to look like death every day it's going to look like suffering every day, every single day. Does it look like a virus? Jesus said it looks like a cross, but I don't think it's very far for us to to, to stretch and to realize that what Jesus is talking about is a death to ourselves, daily suffering. Now, the miracle of the Christian faith is that in that daily suffering, in that daily death, what we find is life. It doesn't look like death with no end. It doesn't look like death is the the, the final word. What it looks like is death is the pathway to life. We find our joy and we rid ourselves of these temporary things that this world tries to throw at us that have one primary purpose, to make us forget that we're going to die. This is what Satan throws at us in every way. He wants us to forget that we're going to die. There is, I am convinced that the more I study scriptures and the older that I get, there is nothing Satan wants more than to convince you that you are perfectly safe in this world. There's nothing he wants you to know more or to be convinced of more that being comfortable and enjoying the moment is the best thing for you. Now, occasionally, he'll resort to fear if he feels like he can kind of get you with that occasionally he'll resort to terror if he feels like that will push you out of your comfort zone just enough to make you make you nervous and not trust God but safety and comfort are the preferred means of execution for Satan don't ever forget that the most important thing I can do for you this morning at least in part is to remind you that you're going to die someday Now, that doesn't sound like a very hopeful Easter message. You're going to die. I'm going to die someday. Perhaps this worldwide global pandemic is enough for some of us to remember that or to have to deal with that for the first time. This is what Jesus said and warned us about. Let's see what Peter says. One of the guys who missed the curveball so badly. He told Jesus he was wrong, and then he betrayed Jesus in his final hours. Oh, he missed it bad. Three times. That's a strikeout. That's Peter. He struck out. Let's see what Peter has to say later on in his, in his, uh, in his letter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Do not be surprised when the trial comes to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. I love that verse. He's so, he, he's so like direct. Don't be surprised. Like it's something weird. This isn't weird. This is going to happen. Verse thirteen. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. In First Peter chapter one, he says in in, in uh, verse six, he says, "In this you rejoice." So now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You rejoice as you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter wants us to understand that trials are coming. And we should not be surprised when they show up like something weird is happening. What will they look like when they get here? I don't know. It's various fiery trials is the way that Peter describes them. Peter's words are a, a, a stark warning. Almost like he is, he's here like yelling in our face. Be prepared. Life will be hard. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. This is what it's going to be. Look like life will come at you fast and it will knock you over and you will be tested in the fire of these trials what Will it be for you? I don't know, but but peter says don't be surprised whenever it happens Friends these days should not surprise us These things that we are dealing with should not surprise us Are you under a trial due to this coronavirus? Maybe Maybe not. Maybe you're not facing death here in East Tennessee. It's not as prevalent as it is in other communities. So good. Rejoice in the fact that that God's mercy has, has kept this from you. But maybe you're under a trial because you've been in the same house with the same people for way too many days, and you're under a trial. then rejoice that too, this, this trial will make you more like him. Are you, are, are, are you under a trial because you are in a house completely alone? And you're not with a family, you're not with anyone to get on your nerves, you're just getting on your own nerves because you are, you are by yourself in all of this. And this too is a moment to rejoice that God is refining you and that he is bringing you through these trials and will refine you in that. the hope and the promise of Easter is that God will, will be able to use any of the trials that we go through in order to make us more like him. Jesus knew the, the pain of physical suffering in carrying his cross. He knew the pain of relationships that were, were, were failed by betrayal. He knew the pain of loneliness as he prayed alone in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knew all these things well. Isaiah 53 says that he was uh, acquainted with grief. Jesus knew these sufferings. Friends, in our broken world, broken bodies and broken hearts and broken promises are no curveball to us. We know these things are coming. They are part of this world broken by sin. And friends, this morning, this is an important message for us to know. And I suppose if I stopped right here this morning, then I'd be okay. I I mean, it's, it's kind of a hard message for me to give, but at least I would have managed your expectations appropriately. I would have said, suffering is part of life. Be ready for it and adjusted your expectations. And low expectations are the key to happiness. So I would have moved your expectations into the appropriate place so that you would know what to expect. And I would have done some good for you. But here's what's great about the Christian faith the story never stops here. We get the rest of the story. And what's the rest of the story? We know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that Mary went to grieve at the tomb, but because she was overwhelmed with joy, she ran from the tomb because the end of the story is not the suffering, but the risen Savior. So Mary shows up and she's ready to grieve, but she runs away in joy because Jesus wasn't there. That's not the, the, the suffering doesn't have the final word. Betrayal, suffering, death. None of that is the end of the story. Jesus had conquered all of that. She had seen him and she had to go and tell the others. And so she ran to them. Jesus shows up at the other, with the other disciples. He shows up in their midst and their discouragement and their disbelief. And, and, and all of that is changed in a moment to boldness and courage and hope and joy. From, from the depths of despair to the, the height of boldness. You read the book of Acts, and they are, they, are, they are men that are preaching with their hair on fire. They want to get out there and tell everyone that they can about this Jesus that has risen. What, what changed them? What changed them is that the end of the story wasn't suffering, but resurrection. Jesus was alive, and at that point, to them, nothing else mattered. And then Thomas doubting Thomas. He gets that chance to put his hands in Jesus' side. He gets his his chance to put his his hands into the the, the, the nail-pierced hands of, of Jesus. And what does he do? What happens whenever that happens for Thomas? He falls to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. Why? Because if Jesus is alive, then that also means Jesus is Lord. This is the Easter story. Mary's grief is turned to joy. The disciples' despair is turned to boldness. And Thomas's doubting is turned to absolute, complete, giving himself over to Jesus and saying, You are my Lord. I will do what you say. So it is with us this morning. Easter is the message that this world needs to hear this morning. The God himself came, suffered, became acquainted with our griefs and our sorrows. But the story doesn't stop there. He also rose, which means that the sorrows never, ever have the last word for us as Christians. God always gets the last word. And what is the last word? That Jesus is risen. This morning, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know I don't know if you're greatly impacted by all that is going on or if you're barely impacted with it. But I do know that there is more to your story that is to be told. But your response this morning to the Easter story is critical. You see, the Romans heard the story of Jesus' resurrection. They knew he was alive. They couldn't find his body, even though they would have loved to have found his body, to prove that this was a made-up story. They couldn't find his body. They knew it was true, but their response was lacking. What about you? If Jesus is alive, what does that mean for you? You see, as Christians, we have a hope that there's more to our story than the suffering we should expect. But that's only true if we are found in Christ, if we partake in his sufferings and thereby can look to Jesus and his glory through that. If you don't want your story to end in death, but in everlasting life, then you must follow the road that Thomas laid for us. When he fell to his knees and he said, Jesus is Lord. Is that your story this morning? Because if not, the best I can offer you is that life is going to be hard. So buckle up. But if that is your story, there's much, much more to be written after that. That life is hard. But through those trials, we will be made more like Jesus and that one day we will be glorified with Jesus, risen just like him. As Jordan started us out this morning, if he walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. That's only true if you're found in Christ. So this morning, my my encouragement to you, what I want to lay out to you is to come to him, to know him, to put your faith in that resurrection and that sacrifice on the cross that your sins would be forgiven, and come to Christ and, and, and know the power of that resurrection. And Christian, this morning, if you've already done that, if you've already, if you already fallen to your knees and said, Jesus, you're my king, you're my Lord, I will follow you anywhere, even if that means to the point of death, as every one of these disciples did. If that's your story and you said, I will go there because you went there for me, and remember this morning the hope that the resurrection brings. It's not just an event in the past, though it absolutely is that. It's not just a story that we tell that 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 we hope that others will believe in Jesus because this is true. Friends, this is the hope that we grab onto every day when we wake up. This is why we can take up our cross and follow him because we know that that cross is not the last word. The last word is that Jesus is victorious and that suffering and death will never have the last word in him. The final word will always be that Jesus is alive. That's Easter. And I can't think of anything better for this world to hear today in the midst of what we were dealing with And every other day. Because we should know what's coming for us. And will we miss it sometimes? Absolutely. But there's grace for that if we are found in Christ. Because he is alive. Happy Easter Providence. I wish I could say that with you here. But I know the power of the resurrection. And I know that one day... We will get the last word and we will shout that together, that he is worthy and he is alive. Will you pray with me? Father, we know that if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, then nothing matters. Oh, but Father, the hope and the joy of what we know is that if Jesus is alive, nothing else matters. Let us live life in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of pandemics, in the, the, the midst of frustrations, and all of these things that swirl around us and that rise up from within us, that none of those things have the last word, because sin and death and hell have been defeated, and Jesus is alive in his name that we pray.